You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to Episode 76 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we are coming to you from the Longwood Public Library in Middle Island, New York. Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. Today joining us is Allison Mirabella, the Digital Literacy Coordinator, Danielle Bliss, Children's STEAM Specialist, Roseanne Mamina, Head of Technical Services, and Anne Hofbauer, Assistant Director. So we're going to speak with our group about lending technologies from purchasing to processing uh, to circulating and all the work that it took to put it together. But first, let's chat with everyone. So I'm happy to be here today, and I'm getting smiles ready from Roseanne, <laughs> because this is a bit of a homecoming for me, because uh, this is the library where I got my start way back in 2002. So thank you for opening your doors and allowing me to come back. I know that you kind of changed the locks after I left. <laughs> <laughs> Kicked you out. <laughs> so thanks for, for having me in. So let's talk. So give us some information about the population that you serve in a district size, as everybody looks at Anne, because she's the assistant director. Yes. So we have about sixty-five to 70,000 patrons. We serve the Longwood School District, very diverse population, even have Brookhaven Lab, which we have uh, scientists from all around the world. So it's an interesting mix of people. Since this is where Chris got his start, as we just heard, tell us, where did you all get your starts in library land? Uh, starting with Allison, and how long have you been a librarian? So I started as a page in 2009 at the Comstock Public Library, and I was a trainee in 2013. I got out of graduate school in 2015, and I started part-time here at the Longwood Public Library, and I've been here ever since. So I got to work with Chris when he was here. I was very lucky. So I started as a library page in Sable, and um, from there I worked uh, at LIU as a library trainee in the in the departments there, and uh, moved on to Amityville Public Library, and now I'm here at Longwood as assistant director. Okay, and I received my MLS back in 2009. Uh, I've worked here at the Longwood Public Library, uh, also North Shore Public Library, Connecticut, and LIU. I have been a librarian for five years, and it feels like the time flew by, meaning I already have to renew my certificate, which is a very strange feeling. But I actually started at Sayville as well uh, as a page in the children's department. I've been, I still work there. I've been there for, it'll be almost 14, almost 14 years. Um, and I got my library degree from St. John's. Um, Allison and I actually went there the same, same we time. We took a lot of the same classes. <laughs> and I remember... Um, Allison applying here, and she said, oh, there's an opening in the children's department. Why don't you, you know, uh, see if you could apply? And then the rest is history. We both became full-time yes, around the I same know. time, yes. too, so it was weird. Yes. Yeah. It Very was like a parallel career, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so tell us about the building itself. It's rather unique here in Suffolk County, so can you talk about the LEED certification? Yes, yeah, so we're the uh, first library in New York State to uh, get the LEED Platinum Certification, which is the highest um, certification you can get LEED-wise. We're energy efficient. We have a tight envelope. Uh, we keep the temperature between 70 to 72 degrees, and it's all monitored uh, through our system. We have lights that dim depending on what type of day it is, time of day it is low flow, water, and other features throughout the library to make it energy efficient. So a lead classification means that it's a very green building, right? Yes, we are green. So why don't we take a short break, because we have a lot of ground to cover. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what it takes to put a lending library together. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, it's Chris from the Library Pros, and I want to tell you about the book Best Technologies for Public Libraries, Policies, Programs, and Services. I, along with Nick Tanzi and James Hutter, both amazing technology librarians and previous guests on this podcast, co-authored the endeavor. If you're interested in bringing 3D printing, augmented reality, virtual reality, or drone flying to your library, this book has what you need. It's a roadmap to successfully implementing this technology because we cover purchasing, developing effective policy, finding the right software, and have model programs and services already designed to make planning programs easier. You can find the book 
on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy books or ebooks. I hope you'll check it out. All right, and we are back with Allison Mirabella, Danielle Bliss, Roseanne Mamina, and Anne Hafbauer from the Longwood Public Library. Did I do that good? Nailed it. All the names yeah. are good. All right. So the first question, I guess, since we're back, is there are some libraries uh, here in Suffolk County that are lending technology in one way, shape, or form. But what Longwood has done really stands out because of the depth and the breadth of the collection that you guys have amassed. Mm. So where did this idea come from, and how did it start? Well, initially, one day, it was... Uh, reading articles online and I found one of my favorite music producers was actually conducting classes at the Ann Arbor District Library and then from that I noticed that they were circulating synthesizers and art material and science material and I was like wow this is just amazing this is definitely like making the library more than books um, so I brought it to Lisa the director of the library and she was into the library of things because she liked the environmental aspect of it where you know we don't have to keep on purchasing things we can share them so basically we had a meeting with librarians and different people from each department to discuss what our equipment and gadgets collection would be or our library of things and we basically decided that we wanted things that people could try before they buy, something that they don't use all the time, maybe once a year, and don't want to store, and also things that we don't want to clean, like cake pans or anything else that might be like, you know, get gross over time. Yeah. So <laughs> we avoid that stuff. Yes, we do. Okay, so after you started loaning the non-traditional circulating items, what was the initial reaction from the public? It was very, very positive. We had so many people coming up to the desk just being so impressed by the different things that we offered. You know, when people think of libraries, again, like Anne said, they tend to think of books and traditional library services. So the idea that they could come in and take out a Roku or a hotspot or borrow a sewing machine, that was something that they never envisioned a library doing, and they were very excited that we were offering those. That's really, really cool. Um, because from what you're doing, a lot of other libraries here in Suffolk County have kind of, as an homage to Longwood, copied what you've done. So that's why we wanted to come and talk to you guys, because we're actually, because of what you're doing, we're kind of copying that a little bit at Sachem as well. I get, was that five bucks, Bob, or is that the Ellen Druda thing? Uh, 11 bucks for Ellen Druda. Oh, Sachem's a drinking game, right? Sachem's a drinking game. Every time game, I say yeah, Sachem, no. they have to drink. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're, we're all going to be drunk yeah. in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But what really is interesting is the depth and breadth of the collection. So that's, that's the one thing that I thought was really, really kind of cool. And it's cool that you guys have put that all together. And we appreciate that. And we definitely want other libraries to be able to have those collections because it changes the perception of what a library is and what sort of services we offer. So the more libraries that are doing it, the better. And isn't it interesting, too, how every library can take the same idea and it changes and morphs with every iteration of it in a different building. It really is kind of a cool thing to see. It definitely is. It's Every library puts their own little spin on it. It was great. I mean, it was a, a great inspiration to us at, at Emma Clark as well when we started our library of things. And um, we looked at your collection and said, well, they're lending it, so why shouldn't we be able to try and lend it? You know, we were a little less nervous because we went through your collection and said, well, they've got this digital video converter, so why should we be scared of having this digital video converter? The drone so, is the scariest it, thing. It, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But you know what? It really helped our staff to be like, well, other libraries are doing it, and they haven't burned to the ground? Okay. Too, so. There hasn't so been I, a revolt or an uprising. That yeah, made it very comfortable, so I have to say. So let's talk tech services for a moment. So whenever you talk about circulating anything non-traditional, uh, certainly library land, uh, usually tech services gets really nervous. Um, so tell us what the initial attempts to catalog these items look like, and how has that evolved? Uh, and also, I guess this is an RFID question, what did you have to do from an inventory control uh, circulation standpoint with regard to checking them out? Okay, well, I want to start off and say that I'm super lucky because I have the best tech services department. Initially, there were a lot of questions like, what if pieces aren't returned? What if items are returned damaged? Am I going to have to clean cake pans? Um, <laughs> are we still going to order books? So initially there was a little, you know, scared staff, but, you know, we kind of started one piece of the puzzle at a time. So we would order one item, it would come in, 
we would kind of process it together, figure out where we're going to barcode it, and just figure out, again, with all the other departments, how the workflow was going to go. As far as RFID tagging, we decided not to RFID tag the equipment and gadgets collection because they're always accompanied by a staff member. So I think Allison will get into that a little later about the the checkout flow. But we decided for our library it was not needed to RFID tag the items. So then how do you actually gather stats for circulation purposes? Is it just a checkout? Through Sierra? Just, yeah, so we keep all the stats through just Sierra checkout. So everything's barcoded. It's just not RFID tagged and encoded. And they're not barcoded on the item themselves, right? For most of them, it's right. usually the tag that's for, on the case. Yeah, for most of the items, we have a little laminated tag that we adhere to the case or bin that it's in, and that's what circulation uses to check out. With, in terms of like so, something that's really kind of unique, what's been like the biggest struggle with regard to tech services and getting stuff ready to go out for the public? Do you I, guys you, do you do telescopes? You do telescopes. We do right? do telescopes. I think one of the hard, I, and I don't know if it's hard, but it's time consuming. Is a lot of times it's hard to find cases or yes. bins to to circulate these items in because a lot you know you want to find something that's sturdy enough that will uphold what's in it. But you also don't want to spend your budget on cases where you could be buying more of the actual product. So a lot of the times, Ann and I are collaborating on what what are we going to put this in? What is what can we circulate this in that it's going to you know last through all the circulations, check in and check out, but not implement too much in on the budget. Yeah, or take up too much closet space. Yes. Right. Exactly. Because space is is critical no matter where you work. Right. So you don't have any funny stories about something that came in you like. What the hell am I going to do with this thing? <laughs> well, actually, it's a funny story because a lot of the times, you know, UPS delivers directly to tech services. And there's some times when things get delivered and I'm like, I bet that's for our equipment and gadgets collection. <laughs> I wonder what we're going to circulate it in. And then I'm like, Vinny comes in, our custodian. I'm like, oh, I think that goes up to administration. <laughs> so, I, have, you know, I sent it upstairs and let Ann take a look at it. And then it comes back down and, you know, we collaborate. Obviously, the collection has really taken off. Um, you got your circ stats are probably through the roof, really, really good. Because you know we've seen that you have over seventy individual items and uh, item types that are available. And what I think is amazing is that it's low tech, high tech lawn games, video conversion, sewing machines, and the list goes on and on. So, the management of the items that when they're returned, how is that taken care of? Like checking for for parts, resetting digital items. It's got to be a lot of work. So, how do you manage it all? Well, I know. When the items originally come in, it's kind of tough to explain because like, we have a bunch of different check processes that we go through. Uh, the adult department goes through an initial check process when the patron comes to check out the item. So we go through it with the patron. We show them all of the items that are going to be involved in whatever kit that they're taking out. And we make sure that everything's there for them. When we bring it to circulation, then they go through that list again. They take a quick look at it while they're checking out with the patron. Then when the patron returns it, circulation goes through the list again. They make sure that everything's there. And then it goes down to tech yeah, services they where they also do a check. check it when they check it out because it's already been done at the reference desk. Oh, that's desk. true. Just they make sure the we signed it. Yeah. On the way back so that they know the patron knows and the staff know they can all agree that all the pieces are there. And if they're not there... Then we got problems. They can they know to go home and look. And we have Roseanne takes pictures of each part, and we have basically kind of like a so people know what this item looks like. Right, every item has piece of the part looks like this. Right, yeah. So upon checkout, they have to fill out a contract, basically saying that Mm -hmm. you know all the pieces are there, everything's there that's supposed to be. And again, I do add a photo of each individual piece of whatever it is that's going out. Yes, because a lot of the staff don't really know what right. part is what part or how to describe it, and it really helps everyone in the whole process. Especially with cables and stuff. You oh, know, yeah. So many different cables with a lot of these devices, so it helps to just have a picture of, hey, this is what the HDMI cable looks like. You know, This is what the micro right. USB looks like. And, just and for, even with the sewing machine, yeah. I never would have known what a darning plate is until we got a sewing machine, yeah. now I know. So how do you handle when something comes back broken or parts are missing what's the process for that well normally um if something comes back and there's a piece missing first we try to make sure the patron definitely doesn't have it Mm -hmm. a lot of the times even if they have a book checked out and they say they lost it 
A lot of the times it is at home, and they go back and they do find it. What we try to do is if they can't find it, we'll try to accommodate them by just, you know, reordering the simple piece that's missing. And, you know, we don't want to charge them for the whole item if we could just replace a simple mm-hmm. part. Sometimes things break. It happens. You know, if it's not intentional, obviously, we'll, we'll work with the patron to try to replace it and be as fair as we can. And what happens if it doesn't come back at all? Roseanne calls them. I, I do. I would be scared if Roseanne was calling me. They get a personal call from Roseanne. So I do call them individually. I'll call. I'll email. A lot of the times I get, oh, yes, 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 I'll bring it back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow comes. I give them another day. Normally by, like, the second phone call, it comes back. I think they've all come back. I don't think anything. Has anything not come back? There might only be one with some hot item. spots occasionally, but oh yeah, hot spots. Uh, they do come so back. But Everybody they do, has yeah, yeah. They, they do come back. I think if we just explain to them that you know we just want the item back, mm-hmm. you know, no questions eventually asked. Eventually they'll, they'll bring it back. <laughs> and we can disconnect certain items too. Like in the case of the hot spots, we can disconnect the data remotely. With the Roku's, we can unlink them from their Roku account, which is something we learned how to do from Sage. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so you know we that usually will have them return it because you know if there's no point in keeping a hotspot if it's no longer giving you an internet connection. So sometimes that's enough motivation for them to bring it back. What's the reaction like? I know we talked about the initial reaction, but what's the reaction like when people first find out that they could? take out a hotspot or they could take out a sewing machine is is it a little more exuberance than it would be getting you know the book they had on hold or i think it definitely is especially for some of the bigger items like say the cricket or the sewing machine those are very significant financial investments for patrons and you know when you have a patron who comes in and they wanted to maybe take up sewing as a hobby having to buy your own sewing machine is a big investment so the fact that they can come into the library and borrow it and try and learn and you know be able to have that skill they get very excited about that yeah and there's no risk you can try it exactly and bring it like, back oh, if you I don't like sewing. it it's yeah. like you didn't lose any money on the deal you just borrowed it from the library yeah I do think the collection has brought in a lot of new faces, at least up to the adult reference department. I think it's definitely brought in a whole other patron base that we may have not reached out to before. Well, isn't that part of the trick, too? I mean, we always talk about attracting 20-somethings and 30-somethings, people who don't come into the library traditionally. Now, I can't speak to that with Lending Library mm-hmm. because we haven't had it at Sagem yet, but I know having things available like the Cricut and the 3D printers and all the other things that we have over at Sagem, it, it, it's mm-hmm. drawing in a clientele of 20-somethings, 30-somethings, mm-hmm. people who don't traditionally come to libraries, and you're attracting people from your community, once they find out about it, that are really cool, like engineers. It, it is interesting how the word gets out there, whether you advertise for it or not, and how it attracts different people into the building that wouldn't traditionally use a library. It really is kind of cool, right? Yeah, I would yeah. say we definitely get a different... Like, we get some of the same people who borrow the books as well, but I do think that it reaches a different audience than some of the more traditional collections. Now, have you had a lot of success with attracting some of the 20 and 30-somethings with the collection? I have gotten a lot of I mean, you you have drones. I mean, drones alone. Like the drones, I think even stuff like the hotspots, too. You know, a lot of people who are going away on vacation will use those. Or, yeah, I would say we definitely get a lot of people for, like, some of the tech gadgets but even for some of the lower tech gadgets you know people get excited about that yeah i think try to reach all audiences with the with the collection because i mean some of the techie stuff definitely doesn't speak to some people like we were at a civic presentation Mm -hmm. which is mainly 60 over and the director was like oh when we have hot spots and it's oh and a sewing machine i was like oh yeah yeah, a sewing machine (laughs) you know so it's like or you the know. lawn games, that's another popular one. Gets a lot of families yeah. who, yeah. you know, might not necessarily want some of the other things in the collection. But, you know, they come in, they're like, oh, wait, we could borrow this for, like, the family barbecue or the event that we're having. And, you know, that's another popular one, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of the crafting ones, like, especially the yes. crickets, bring in a lot of 20, 30-year-olds. You know, we get a lot of teachers that come in and we'll use them for their displays and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so... And even like you said, for families, too, for the lawn games, even for children's, you know, we get parents who may want to try something out to see if their kid even wants it, if it's yes. worth purchasing, because we all know how kids get tired of toys very quickly. So things like the Cubetto, I've had one parent who did want to try it and say, oh, if we like it, then we'll consider getting it. But it's nice to at least try it, not be committed, mm-hmm. not have it take up space in your house, and then return it. Yeah, and that's 
over two hundred dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. or even something like the ukulele. It's like yeah. how many times do you have a kid who's like, "Oh, I saw somebody on YouTube playing ukulele, and I want to learn to play ukulele." It's like, well, why don't you borrow it from the library and actually try playing it first? And then we you all know. know how that goes with instruments. Yeah, <laughs> you play an instrument. I my promise. mom always said I have like an instrument graveyard in my room. I would always do that as a kid. So I think it's cool that yeah. you know they could try that out in the library. It really is cool how it's, what's there isn't just targeted towards mm-hmm. one, one segment of the population. So that's really, really cool how it's really a diverse collection. It really is neat. So I'm a patron, and I want to borrow the drone. Because, of course, why wouldn't I want to borrow the drone? So what's the process like? Do I just walk in and say, hey, I want to take out the drone? And uh, can I reserve it online and pick it up? Is it that simple? So you can actually do it either way. Um, you can place a hold on any of the gadgets, especially in the case of the gadget not being there. You know, you could place a hold for when it comes back or your next person on the hold list. Um, but we also do have people who will come in and just say, oh, I want to see if this item is available. And if it is available and there's nobody on hold for it, we could check it out for them, too. Uh, usually how the process will go, you know, we kind of went over it a little bit before, but just to give some extra details on that, um, the patron will come in. They will usually come up to the adult reference desk. Uh, if they just want to see if an item is there or if it's just available and they were looking on the website and they saw it, then they'll just ask us for the item. And at that point, we'll give them the contract to look over. We'll go get the item from the closet. We have the giant closet, giant magical closet of items <laughs> there. <laughs> so at that point, we'll go get the item. We'll start checking it to make sure all the pieces are there while the patron's reading through the contract and they're signing their part of it. If it's a case where the patron had it on hold, we have a, I don't know how to even describe it. I don't know if you have a better, it's like a dummy kind of case just on the whole shelf. Case. Yeah. So they'll go get that dummy case on the whole shelf. I believe the case actually says go up to adult services it does, right yes. on it, which is good. Sometimes they go to circulation anyway, but they'll be directed to adult services and then we'll see that they have the hold and we'll grab the item for the closet and it has its hold slip on them. At that point, either way, we'll bring them down to the circulation desk. We'll have checked the contract already. Circulation will have made sure that the adult services did sign all the little check boxes we were supposed to check because occasionally they'll catch something that we missed. And then at that point, the patron can go ahead and take their item home. Yeah, when we decided on loan rules for this collection, we didn't want to use uh, reserve it for this date mm-hmm. because it could then sit on the shelf unused because of the way the time falls. We circulate them for 14 days with one renewal. So basically, it's kind of like luck of the draw. Oh, is it available? Or, you know, it's uh, what we call a copy return soonest hold. So, so Sierra people out there, the yeah. The Sierra people, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So do you have, here in Suffolk County, we have automatic renewals. You've turned that off for this, right? No. we have no. Well, we have two. I know you we, said you, re, you allow one renewal, but oh, what yes. about after that? Oh, yeah. No, only two. Only two. Yes. Because <laughs> we want it to be, well, even though it's time. not really that browsable because it's not on a shelf, but basically we wanted it to be available if someone comes here, you know, not just out forever since right. we have a limited number of gadgets. Yeah, we want to make sure as many people as possible are able to borrow them and enjoy the collection. So, so what is the most popular item in your collection, and what does the future hold for the collection? So in terms of this, can we break it down kind of like into department kind of things? Like for children's, what's the hottest thing? And like for adults, what's the hottest thing? And if there is something that teens like to take out more than anything else, I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry, but... Um, like I said, I think the Cubetto has been very popular, and also the Cubelets. I always say that wrong and mix the two up somehow and say Cubletto. Or also, something weird. yeah, I say something <laughs> weird like that, but I'm surprised I got it right. Um, those have I've noticed been the two most popular, along with then lawn games for families. That's been something very popular as well. I would say, yeah, probably the cricket sewing machine I've got interest about for parents. I mean, obviously not a child. The child is not going to be using that, but those I. I've observed have been the most popular items, at least in my department. I would say for ours, the by far most popular is the hotspots. I mean, they are just out all the time. How many yes. do you have? We have, I believe, 22, but get ready to edit that out if that's not the answer. <laughs> 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 I believe it is Wait, over we 20. Have 20. We have 20, okay. 
We have 20 hotspots. We'll, we'll put the two in for the future. Yes. <laughs> 22 question mark? No. So we have 20 hotspots. They are just always out. We always have a wait list on them. They are very rarely in the building. Like you can't really walk in and just get a hotspot because they're always circulating to the next person. Even in the wintertime, right? Honestly, yeah. yeah Which in is the wintertime. really interesting because over yeah. at Get Your Glasses Out Sachem, um, <laughs> um, we noticed that there's a bit of a decline where actually we have a couple in during the wintertime. But, wow. But the second hmm. April kicks in, boom, they're gone again. It's crazy because I did think that they would slow down during the winter, but yeah, they don't. It's just well, I mean, the digital know, divide, and I feel like we could have a hundred of them, yeah. and they'd, they'd always still go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think a close runner-up to the hotspots are definitely our converters. Yes, the converters, um, our VHS to DVD converter, uh, film to digital converter, anything that converts. That's definitely a close number two. Yeah, people get shocked when they see that we have those. Because a lot of times people just want to convert like a couple VHSs or whatever, a couple cassettes. Like they don't necessarily want to buy their own converter. So when right. they see that we have them, they're like, oh, I have like a whole pile of VHSs yeah. at my house I want to convert. And yeah, they take them out and those usually end up having some wait lists mm-hmm. too. And especially some of the converters, they're big. So they take they up are. a lot of space. So yeah. And they're expensive, too. They are expensive. I mean, if you can imagine back when we used to go to a a camera store and you bring the VHS in when we first got DVDs to convert Mm -hmm. it to DVD, how expensive it was per cassette. And now you can do it at home for free if you have a VCR. Imagine if we could still buy VCRs and circulate VCRs. I've had people ask about that, actually. It's so hard to find. I think there's only one company left that makes them. That could be an interesting gadget idea. Or we just had somebody listening. We just had somebody drop off a VCR at the circulation desk. That's basically brand new, and it's going into our library things collection. Oh, wow, that yeah. is cool. I couldn't believe it. They're so expensive now. They're so expensive. Yeah. It, that could be interesting. Yeah, especially with the possibility of it eating a cassette too. Because now it's more than yeah. just oh, he ate a cassette. Now it's like a cherished memory or something like that, where it's like you have to get your old school editing hat on and like pull the tape out and take the razor blade and cut it and tape it back together. Mm -hmm. Thanks Chris. Now I'm paranoid about putting this in the (laughs) letter. Well, the reason why I say that is because um, when we needed a VCR, I actually went to Savers and bought two VCRs for a dollar each and put them out there. And yes, I put my own cassettes through it first Mm -hmm. to make sure that didn't eat them. And they worked for like a year. What's a cassette? (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> we are ending this podcast right now. <laughs> Never heard of this. I knew, oh, I knew one of you was going to throw that out there. I love it. But yeah, it worked for like a year and it died. It just stopped working. There's something inside that the power supply, I think, went on it or something. But that was like a quick and easy way to kind of get the VHS in, mm-hmm. you know, because we have one of those converters in-house and then we circulate three of them. So some people just want to come in and just convert one. So they'll just sit in the space and, and convert it. Or they'll want to bring it home and, you know, sit there for days. Is it a private space? It is not. Yeah. In my last library, someone was trying to convert inappropriate videos on the public forum. Like, oh, we're going to move this down into a room in the basement. I'm sure that if somebody wanted to do something very personal, uh, we we could make an accommodation so long as it was legal. (laughs) Don't you love people? You can't (laughs) make this stuff up. You can't. (laughs) <laughs> Holy cow. But yeah, I mean, the DVD conversions. I know because I did 93 of my own cassettes at home. And when people say, oh, do I have to sit and watch it? I'm like, well, no, you can set it, forget it. And then if you have any editing software, you can pop the, you know, that video that you've made digital and just crop out the blue part. And, you know, the blue, meaning the blue screen, not anything blue. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, and people actually listen and they go, Oh, I did 30 cassettes. It's great. So it is like, it's a hot thing with us too. So I can imagine it's a really popular thing. So what's next? Are you going to give any trade secrets away? We're not asking for trade Ooh. secrets, but where, where do you see yourself doing? What's the next hot things that you're going to put mm. out there? That's a good question. Honestly, it's just what we find. I'm thinking maybe more music instruments, like electronic music instruments, maybe a drum machine, Maybe, you know, some synthesizers, some kind of guitar pedals. But a lot of the craft stuff, I think we need to expand that because that seems to be the most popular. Yeah, like category, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I think the plant wave is real yes, cool. Yes, which is basically, it's a MIDI kind of controller. You, you hook it up to your plant, and then it goes through MIDI into the computer, yeah, and yeah. then you can, it's your plants making music. It's similar to the um, yes. Makey Makey, kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. So we're always just looking for things that just, you know, are cool and different. And, and if there's any other lawn games invented, we'll invest in those. <laughs> I think we have most of them. <laughs> I think, too, it's like there's always... This idea of, you know, as we're going through, I think, our day-to-day lives, it's, oh, you know, is this something that we can lend out? Like, I know I think about that all the time when I'm doing something. I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe the library could lend this type of thing. So I think Anne's right. Like, it's just kind of being open to the inspiration and just keeping an eye out for, you know, what might be next. And it's something that's manageable, too, because, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes things have a million pieces or we're like, this is just not going to work. So you know, between the pieces or the mess or, mm. you know, we've cut Finding down a case, <laughs> right? Cut down on things that eat hair. Yes. You know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, just trying to figure mm. it, you know, figure it out. Yeah. Just follow the trends of, you know, what people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor Roseanne. She has to deal with all the hair at tech services. <laughs> oh, really? I, I was going to, I wasn't going to get into that. <laughs> but, but we, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like we can't not tell you the hair story. story now. Yeah. Yeah. About the robot. Yeah. We don't have to talk about the coin machine. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll just keep everybody a mystery. Like all the viewers at home are like, what about the coin machine? Though? <laughs> Cliffhanger for your next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, fun little story. So, uh, the Cubetto, no, I'm sorry, the Cosmo. 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 The Cosmo, for anybody that doesn't know, it's this little tiny robot that, you know, kids can learn how to code on. And, you know, it has little wheels. But it's absolutely adorable because it has emotions almost. It is. In the relation to the cube. After this story, it could never be cute to me again. (laughs) It's ruined forever. Um, So it it came back and it comes down to tech services. And, you know, it was, we were fairly new into equipment and gadgets. So, you know, I personally wanted to have my hands on everything to see, you know, everything was working right. The Cosmo, it wasn't moving. Its wheels were stuck. So I'm like, well, this is weird. You know, it seems like something's stuck in there. So I get a screwdriver and I'm taking it apart. And that's when I found it. Human hair. (laughs) Yeah. So I do have my own box of gloves in tech services now in case they're ever needed. But, um, yeah, that was a fun one. So just things to consider. Yeah. So just anything with with wheels, just think about where those wheels are going. (laughs) I'm still still trying to just imagine you with the screwdriver trying to take it apart. She amazes me. She's, she's incredible. Like in oh, she's good. Thinking, you know? She can fix anything. I have my own little tool set, thanks Ro- to Vinny. Roseanne the Riveter. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been great. I want to thank you all for having us over here today and talking about the great collection. And I'm sure many of our listeners will investigate how they, too, can create a circulating equipment and gadgets collection. So don't be surprised if you don't hear from some, from some people because of the episode. So when we come back, we are going to be asking our group our top 10 library questions, or what we call the 032 list, which is the Dewey number of top 10 lists. And we always give credit to your colleague, Melanie Cardone, from this very same Longwood Public Library, for naming the list of questions we ask all our guests. So we will be right back. are back with Allison Mirabella, Danielle Bliss, Roseanne Mamina, and Anne Halfbauer, who will be our next participant in our 032 list. Questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, a library news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. They do a great job educating and informing library professionals on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So you're ready? <laughs> We're ready. Good job. Are you ready, Chris? No, apparently I'm not since I didn't hit the record button. Okay, so what did you want to be when you were a child, starting with Allison? I wanted to be an author. Rock star. Veterinarian. 
Uh, initially, I wanted to be a Disney princess, but it was too hard to get into that field. <laughs> Didn't work out. What is your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? My first memory of a library was going to a giant inflatable planetarium at the Commissog Public Library. And I just thought it was so cool, and I was like, yes, I want to be here forever. So my mom brought me to the library, um, Save a Library. I remember walking in, and I swear this is a true story. My mom told me this. <laughs> I walked in, and I said, Mommy, I like this place. And Aww, after that, that I've loved libraries ever since. That's so wholesome. <laughs> wow, how do I follow that? Um, <laughs> I just remember, my as a kid, my mom bringing me to story time, and there was like a story pit that we would all sit in. And Oh, the story pit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Danielle. Um, well, I'm kind of sad to admit that my parents didn't really take me to the library when I was little. So I really probably started going when I was in middle school, and that was to uh, start volunteering because I needed uh, service credits. So. Okay, so when did you decide to work in a library? And if not, if it wasn't your first career path, because for many of us it was not the first career that we have. Um, so what was your first yeah, good job, Chris. You can really read. When did, <laughs> when did you decide to work in a library? Allison? Uh, originally, I was intending to be a teacher. I had gone for my undergraduate in English, secondary education, and I got all the way through the program, and I got to student teaching, and I just didn't enjoy it. I loved teaching, and I loved like working with the kids, but I just didn't like working in the school environment. And at the time, I was working part-time as a page at the Kamaswag Library, and everybody there was like, you should be a librarian. So I ended up going for my master's in library science. It's usually somebody in the library seducing you to the dark it's, side. Yeah, once you yeah. become a page, once you're in, you don't that's get how, that's out. That's the buy-in right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and? Yeah, uh, being a page, I decided. See, I told you. <laughs> see? You I was go. like, hey, I can do this. Um, so I actually was on track to be an alcohol and substance abuse counselor and was ready to graduate and started an internship and realized while I was interning that that was definitely not what I wanted to do. Um, and at the time, I was working as a page in a library, <laughs> and uh, they recommended, oh, you should go to library school. And I was like, library school is like a thing? And uh, yeah, so I decided to help people as I wanted to originally, just not on a personal level. Although sometimes we are helping people on personal Yes. yes. <laughs> a lot of the times. For me, it was pretty much the same theme. I was a page. Before that, again, I was volunteering, so that's kind of when I saw um, the work that you could do. And I was there at the library lot at Sayville, and I was like, wow, you get paid for this? This is like everything I would want to do. This is great. Uh, originally, similar to Allison, I did want to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be in a helping profession, um, but then I did not enjoy the teaching aspect you know, in uh, college student teaching. So then... That's kind of when I it sealed the deal for me. We basically had like the same we exact really career. Did. Yes, <laughs> being a page really seals the deal. <laughs> so, who's your favorite fictional librarian? I would say that giant monster librarian from Monsters University <gasps> is like too. my oh, favorite. Oh, that's a first. <laughs> we have a first, that's Bob. A good one. That is a first. That's great. She's, she's great. Oh. Oh, Anne's looking like. How am I going to top that? <laughs> no, I have like a fictional uh, almost wannabe. Librarian, uh, Party Girl, that movie, Parker Posey. Oh, that's yeah. another good one. That is a good one. Mine is, and don't judge, but uh, Miss Dalton from Saturday Night Live. Oh, If you haven't seen it, go back and watch that. That's episode. another first. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. My favorite was also the librarian from Monsters uh, University. But I don't know if this, the second one would be, it's not really a fictional librarian, but the... Uh, Librarian with the shushing action figure with the shushing action. That's my other yes. favorite. <laughs> I have that. That I is have, also one of my favorites. Yeah, action finger. Yes. Thank you. The action finger. Thank you. That's even better. You can edit that part out. <laughs> the shushing. There's shushing action. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? I think I probably would be working in IT. I feel like I do oh, that I a totally lot today. Anyway, yeah. I would have enjoyed it, I think. Yeah. But I love being in the library. So I'd be traveling the world. I would either be a meteorologist. Not on. T I don't want to be on TV. I want to do the research part of that. Or something with animals. Like have my own like boarding facility. I could see you with like a cat cafe or something. Yeah. I'm game. <laughs> I could do that. 
Um, I think for me, I would either be a teacher or in some sort of other helping profession, like occupational therapy. I've also looked into those, but again, page being page sealed the deal. Yes. Yeah. So what would you say is your favorite section of the library? The fantasy sci-fi. I don't order for it. Melanie orders for it, and I am so super jealous of her. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Melanie. <laughs> Cookbooks. Oh, see, I read this question differently. It could be anything. It doesn't oh, okay. necessarily need to be books. I said the outside terrace because um, oh, it's nice answer. to sit yeah. outside, read, hang out. My favorite section has always been the craft section. But my other favorite section, I recently created a uh, makerspace collection. I called it for books for kids. So I pulled all the books on 3D printing and uh, coding and electronics and microcontrollers together so they're not spaced out so much. So that's kind of my favorite section because I like to look there too for, pro for ideas for my kids' programs. So it's just easier when it's all in one spot. So right now, those two are probably my favorite. Okay, so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to this already amazing library? A whole lot of Macs. We were kind of talking about yes. that as a potential Mac computers, for yeah. makerspace, but uh, like a whole bank of Macs would be really, really cool. So I'm really into placemaking. So, I mean, I feel like the library is just, could be infinite things to many people. True. But, um, you know, I see like an art studio, a music studio, um, you know, coming in, being able to use a potter's wheel. How cool would that be? Um, more meeting spaces. It's endless, the opportunity. But, you know, space is always an issue. So Always. Um, I also said space, but I said more outdoor space, like more either terrace or outside area where we could have programs outside in the nice weather or outdoor concerts, things like that, in addition to what we have already. I'll add that, too. Come on. This question was really hard because we already have so much. We do. Um, I also thought meeting space, again, for families and children, um, for homework, and just to throw it in there, it would be really cool if we could have a cat cafe in here. Yes. Oh, my Wouldn't God. Uh, when I retire, I'll run it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can go on my break and pet the cats. <laughs> when you retire, just bring a bunch of cats to the library. They'll have to do something with them, right? So. Oh, wait. Actually, I could have changed my answer for more outdoor space to a cat, a uh, library cat. cat yeah, cat calling. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So what do you folks absolutely love about your library? I love, it's going to sound weird, but I love how many windows we have in the library. Like, it feels like it's always just very open. It's always very sunny and inviting. Like, I love seeing patrons down by the magazine area, just, like, in the sunlight reading their magazines. It's just such an inviting space. It's your window to the world. It is. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> You know, I have actually the same answer. Really? Yes, yeah. it's just it's really so well. like serene it here, is. and it's just nice it's to relaxing. be here. It's nice to be in a new building, and of course, coworkers too. A really great group of coworkers. So it's just a really, it's a happy place to be. It is. Uh, I have something similar. I have, um, you know, I really love like the open layout and the the openness to it, but uh, also staff, patrons, and um, supportive administration. See, I took this a little bit differently, but I think it'll still be okay. I really love that we have so many different services for people, including specifically for children. You know, we have um, Museum Pass program. We have over 30 museums, which is quite a lot. We have so many different programs. Parents always compliment how many things we have for them to do. Um, and we have a lot of, you know, toys and games in children. So I think it's the things that aren't you wouldn't typically think of as a library having is what I really love. We have so much of it. Okay, what is the, okay, weirdest, not worst, but weirdest <laughs> thing that has ever happened in your library? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, if, it could be when you were at Comswag or at Sayville or at Amityville or Roseanne just worked here. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were in North Shore, too. <laughs> Roseanne just the gave me the look. look I just face. got the look. <laughs> I would say it was kind of weird in that it was unusual. Like, it doesn't happen often. But it was last year, I want to say it was October, because I think it was the day of the SCLA dinner, but we had this really bizarre snowstorm yes. out of nowhere, and there were cars all like stranded alongside the road. Um, the library right. was open. Mm -hmm. We still had staff here. 
And we couldn't leave. We couldn't leave. The patrons couldn't leave. So we ended up kind of like really making the best of it. Like Carl came down. He's one of the adult librarians and he put on a movie. He's your announcer. <laughs> he just went on the loudspeaker, put on an announcement that we were just going to have movies in the community room. So we showed movies and we made hot chocolate and people hung out. And I think you took a picture of a snowman, if I remember. Oh, yeah. You were here that night too, yeah. And it just, it was weird in that it was unusual, but like it was just such a fun kind of like, yeah, almost festive fun. type of fun thing. To get yeah. together, you know? It was. It was kind of a cool sort of thing that happened, and it was just very spontaneous. So I would say that was definitely my favorite weird thing. So the weirdest thing by far, two, two weeks ago, we had a anti-circumcision protester, just one, outside of the <laughs> library, holding signs about it. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> we don't know why. It's not like we're, you know, offering we that service. To do with that. <laughs> Once again, how do I follow that? <laughs> um, my weirdest experience was um, a deer ran into the library. We have two sets of, of sliding doors, and the he waited for the second set the, to open too. <laughs> <laughs> the deer, he made it through the first set. Didn't quite make it through the second set and, you know, kind of got scared and ran back out. But was that in this building or the old building? Try to remember. I think it's, it might have been I think it's the new building. In, I can't remember, Unless to be it honest. happened after, I, after my time here because, well, no, because I was in temporary space. So it had to have been the new building. Maybe. I can't remember when, but I remember that patron. Always. <laughs> <laughs> made quite an impression <laughs> yes so my story is not a first-hand experience unfortunately but it would have been because it fell on my night that i had switched with someone so i'm gonna claim it it from the story that was told to me uh, a patron came up to the children's reference desk and asked for some napkins because he was holding a can of uh, canned squid in ink sauce and uh, needed some napkins and they had tissues, so they provided him with some tissues. And then, meanwhile, some of the ink sauce piece dripped on the carpet. Meanwhile, this is ink sauce, right? So he was apparently eating this over in the adult area, but came to the children's desk. So, yeah, I don't know who eats canned squid with ink sauce, but... <laughs> There's going to be one person yeah. out there who eats Wherever canned squid Wherever you eat it, you should eat it in the sauce. library. That's yeah. apparently the thing. Yes. Chris, wow. I don't know how to follow I, that. I, I, yeah. There's, yeah. I think we should just forget the rest of the questions. This is a mic drop moment right now. <laughs> Deer, squid, uh, protests. This is, wow. Yeah, this is a good lead-in, though. So beyond the deer and the squid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who is your favorite regular patron? <laughs> I would say my favorite, I would say it's a group of patrons, but it's the patrons that come to my technology classes. I just love them, honestly. And it's so cool being able to see somebody go from just not knowing how to use their iPad or their phone or whatever they're bringing in to having the confidence and being excited to be able to use it. And a lot of those patrons I see over and over again for like the one-on-one -on -one appointments or for future classes. So you really get to know them and you get to know like their journey, you know, when they're first starting off knowing nothing to now they're doing really well and they're teaching like their neighbor how to do something. So I would say that's definitely my favorite group of regular patrons well i'm an administrator so i'm in an office so i don't have one right now i feel kind of sad i miss them so much well the deer only came in once so i can't claim him and i don't think he had a card regular. right he didn't have a card yet you know He's i didn't get too close to ask him but uh since i can't choose him there are a few patrons i won't pick just one and i'm sure they know who they are <laughs> if you're listening out there you know who you are yes, yes. Um, for me, it's more of a, a group of uh, kids, uh, but they're probably sixth grade, and they come to pretty much all of my programs on Friday nights. Um, so I've really got to know them. I've seen them pretty much coming since they've been third grade, all the way now till sixth grade. So they're my favorites, but then next year I get to hand them off to the teen department when they go into seventh Aww. grade. So I'll still see them, but not in my classes. God, you guys have such good stories. Roseanne, you make me laugh every single time. They know who they are. <laughs> Patron privacy. Exactly. So our final question, what are people without library cards missing out on? 
Um, our wonderful equipment and gadgets collection. Hey, that's my answer. <laughs> you stole my answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> but also the ebooks, the online databases. Uh, like, I think people have a very limited idea of what libraries are and what libraries offer. Um, but we're offering all different sorts of things nowadays. So, you know, hopefully people will come get library cards and be able to check some of that out. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> I kept it simple. I said free education and entertainment. I think a lot of people, like Allison said, don't realize how evolved the libraries have come and you know how dedicated we are to help the community and get the community anything that they need in their lives that could help them in any way. And of course, they're missing out on the wonderful staff that works here. Danielle? So I think if you don't have a card, you're really missing out on all the free programs and classes, especially for children. Like Parents are always looking for something free to do with their kids. I have had so many people say, you know, I register for them a class, and they're like, oh, well, okay, well, how much money do I need to bring, or do I, can I bring a check, or how much is it? And they're like a little scared to ask at the end. I'm like, it's completely free. So I think if you have a family, that's a big thing you're missing out on. I have to say thanks uh, on behalf of Bob and myself for being yeah, such good sports and for answering our list of questions. Wow. I don't think we've ever had answers like that before, Bob. No, you know what? This is like um, we always did. This is my new favorite podcast, and we haven't done that in a while, so this is our new favorite podcast. Yeah, I would have to say, yeah. These two guys are hysterical. (laughs) They're going to like You know what? They're going to like it. I mean, the the listeners are really going to like it because you folks are personal, and that's what really gets them to, uh, to pay attention and listen longer. Okay, so plugs. Go ahead. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, programming, stuff, anything. Go ahead. We follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. No, we don't have a Twitter, actually, but follow us on Facebook yes. and Instagram. Was it yes, at Longwood Library? Okay. It's, it's at Longwood, Longwood Library <laughs> is our Instagram handle. I do want to thank you guys, though, for having oh. us on your show. Yeah, that's, that's not a problem at all. Okay, so Allison Mirabella, Danielle Bliss, Roseanne Mamina, and Ann Huffbauer, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.